Hi, and welcome to the Imperfect Podcast. My name is Deb Crow, and I will be your host. Join me on this journey as we meet heart-centered leaders from all over the globe. Lots of interesting questions, interesting conversation, and find out what makes a leader. How do they handle uncertainty and complexity? How do they lead in a time that is volatile? Join us. Welcome back to Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. And you're in for a treat because we have a beautiful guest today, Ellen Harris, and she wanted to do a video podcast. So we're back with you again on another episode of Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. And Ellen, I, I have reviewed your bio. I have done my homework. I have done my due diligence. And I think for the first time in over 50 interviews that I've done on this <laughs> podcast, I'm going to allow you to tell the guests a little bit about yourself only because I don't want to leave anything out because you've had an amazing career. So share with the viewers, the listeners, whichever way you're listening to our podcast today, tell us a little bit about Ellen Harris. Okay. Well, I started uh, singing when I was a teenager, but I started to get bookings by the time I was 17. And actually, when I was working with a, one of my singing coaches at 17, he called some people in from William Morris Agency and they signed me right away. And so I was signed to William Morris for, for a long time from the time I was 17. So actually, they were helpful, but they were, I was young and inexperienced and they were such a big organization that I found that I got a lot of, a lot of uh, bookings myself and through them. But I started out doing theater and so I learned all of that, how all of that works and how that kind of singing works. And then I actually was very interested in um, singing on my own after doing summer stock and after doing some off-Broadway shows, I wanted to do something that I could control more. Mm -hmm. So I loved rock music. I actually formed a band and I wrote all the songs for, um, for the, for my rock show. And uh, it's like, wow, I can, you know, write songs too. And they were good. And so I got bookings in some big clubs in New York City at Tracks, and we toured the tri-state area doing my rock show. Then, and I had, you know, did, did nicely with it. Then, um, what was the next thing? Oh, then I got the feeling that I really wanted to be able to hear my, my voice better. Because as you know, with rock, you've got the drum, you've got the loud guitars, you've got, it's really a screaming kind of thing. And, um, so, uh, you know, I have been trained in singing, took a lot of singing lessons, still do, uh, because they're just, they're, it's great. You know, you need to have those, uh, those tools. And once you have those tools and you can sing well, you can kind of put your voice in whatever genre you want if you kind of, you know, are, are care about it and, and want, to, want to really work on it. So after the rock band, um, I started doing... Uh, uh, more opening for comedians, more sort of so the songbook 
and songs that I had written, but more in, in smaller clubs, clubs slash cabarets, I guess you'd call them. And I was thrilled to be the opening act for Rodney Dangerfield when I was mm. pretty young. And he was so famous at the time. And he has a club still, it's still there even after his death called Dangerfield. So I sang there multiple times because I was, they liked me and it was, it was always packed and always crowded because he was, you know, quite, yeah. quite successful. And then I started to open up for other comedians and I did that. And then um, I did my own act. I did my own cabaret show, I guess you would call it, even though it had some rock songs in it and some old songs in it. But uh, it was just fun being in control and hearing my voice and, and, and everything. So um, did that for a while, did some really good clubs in uh, mostly New York. After that, I thought, well, I want an audience that doesn't know me that, you know, because in, in these smaller clubs, it's so contingent on you generating an audience and you, you kind of promoting yourself. Um, I have to say though, too, with, with some accomplishments, because I wanted to do, feel like, I wanted to know what it felt like to do studio work, to be live on stage, to have all those abilities. So, during this time too, I did some studio work and I did some commercials, the most famous of which was the Alka-Seltzer plop, plop, fizz, fizz jingle. Oh, um, you, you have to sing it. You have to give I, it to us. I, you can't I, just I, say that. I hate it when people ask you to sing it because, um, but anyway, the thing is that uh, it was nice because it, it, you get royalties for a couple mm -hmm. of years or mm -hmm. so afterwards and that's what was cool about it. But I did a lot of different small, parts and commercials and, 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 that, and all of that, that, those things. Um, then somehow I started to go to clubs, the big dance clubs in New York, and they were very, very popular and very big. There was the Limelight and the Red Zone where all these major international uh, successful DJs would play and they would have a singing act also. So I started, to, I went to them and I started to get to know some people in that genre. And I just thought, yeah, I really wanna, I wanna do this. You have a track behind you. You don't have to worry about musicians. It's all voice to track work. And uh, it's very booming and very loud. So you have to really rehearse and know exactly where you are. But I started, I, so I started to do some clubs and then I got signed to a dance music record label, Megatone Records. I think it was based in San Francisco, but very, very popular, very uh, respected label. And I got signed with them and I had uh, my first song with them is I Specialize in Love. It was a remake of a, I Specialize in Love. So I was able to sing at, I sang at the Limelight with like 2000 people watching, you know, you just appear and they're there. And I mean, there it was just, so, 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 so much fun. And I sang at the Red Zone, which I mentioned, and I sang at, uh, in the tri-state New York area, also many other big clubs. And you also had dancers with you. And um, so it was very, very fun. But through all of this, I got to know people who worked in that dance music genre. And you, cause it was kind of a community of people. Mm -hmm. uh, definitely, uh, you know, that genre was, had, had great community. And 
the other thing I loved about it is that when you went to a club, when you were, when you were just there, it, the, the level of multicultural, international feeling of the people that are dancing, the people that are watching you, and the people that are in the industry, it's just, it's just pure love. There is no, there was no color, there was no nationality, there was nothing other than the love of this music and the love of each other. It sounds wild, but that's exactly what it was. It was just beautiful. Um, so I sang at the clubs. I got to know all the promoters. There are dance music club promoters. There are billboard and magazine promoters. There are many people behind the scenes. I got to know all the top recording artists at the time. Um, this was in the high, the really powerful part of dance music in the 90s, the late mm -hmm. mid, mid 90s, the whole 90s for me. That's what, what, what it was. And I got to know just everyone involved, the record labels, international, national label people, we all converged together. Um, everyone involved, you know, whoever was involved in, in, the, in, the, in that genre. And I just kind of really cared about these people. And I realized that there was not a category for separately for dance music at the Grammys. And I also found out that uh, a lot of people had been trying to get a category for a number of years and some high level label people had been trying, but it never happened. So I, for some reason, I had been a longtime member of the Recording Academy, which is a Grammy organization, mm -hmm. longtime member, uh, knew people there, but I didn't know, I didn't know what I was Go about to do and how it would just just push me forward into into an area and to business that I never thought I would I would do. So let so, so let me jump in here because this yes. is where this is where I want to ask you my leadership questions. Yes. We got we got to keep the viewers in a little bit of suspense here. <laughs> so before we launch into that part of your career, share with me where your love of singing and and songwriting where did that derive from did you have exposure as a child or give us a little insight into that mm -hmm. that's a good question because i'm thinking of parents and other than uh, you know just singing around the house and uh they just loved music they were just fans of music and mother loved my mother loves frank sinatra and the usual parental mm -hmm. People and I loved I loved him too, and then that whole that whole uh, group of people at that time. Um, but they just played music on the radio. I don't know how I. I think I went to see some shows when I was a teenager, mm. and I thought, and I heard the the lead singers of the show sing, and I thought, you know what? I feel as though I can do that, and so I'd go back into the my room and went into the bathroom, which has great acoustics, and I sang. And I, so I just naturally must have had a, a voice because it sounded good. So I thought, you know, this is really fun. So I went right away to a really, uh, you know, top level or well-respected singing teacher. And I started, you know, working with her and um, 
actually I remember she had she was the one that all the all the stars went to who wanted to sing that weren't necessarily singers. She had people like Johnny Carson and many, many other stars. And I remember one time I walked into my lesson and Katherine Hepburn opened the door. Oh, wow. <laughs> she was having her lesson and she opened the door as I was, she was about to leave as I was going into the lesson. And it was kind of funny though, because I was so like, you know, so, so much in shock. Um, that I just, you know, I said, hi, and I just walked in and she said, she said, well, it'd be nice of you to say thank you. So that was kind of, that was kind of my first impression of her, but uh, I love her talent and I love everything else. And as soon as I walked in and said, thank you, she was very sweet. Isn't so, that, what, a, what an interesting, um, you know, on your way into a lesson and a bit starstruck. And, and, and again, you know, it's nice that you got to see people from all different cultures and ethnicities and social status and may not have been superstars, but, you know, your teacher was teaching all different people from all walks of life singing. So yes. What a, what a beautiful story. Now we're going to get to your, your leadership here, but before we do, I want you to share with us what imperfections do you bring to your heart-centered leadership? Um, I don't know if is, is just having, uh, being sensitive to and having empathy. Is that an imperfection? I don't, I don't know. The main, the, 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 the leadership part of me, the business part of me has always worked pretty well. I would say though, on a personal level, I'm probably, I probably am more or was, I'm better now, but was more insecure about mm -hmm. what I was doing. I was, I did it, you know, I did, I did it, but I was always, I always questioned myself. So it was a bit of self-doubt, which I've, I've been working on forever, but I don't think that you would probably see it, you know, somebody. Absolutely. And, and I think that's where your tenacity and your grit comes from. So I have a surprise for you because I did do my homework. <laughs> so you worked so hard. You're such a vivid visionary. And like you said, you wanted to create this new category for the Grammy Awards. So as I was looking through all of my notes and your bios, I realized something really special. Your category was rewarded on May the 20th of 1997. Yes. Guess whose birthday is May 20th? Oh my goodness, how cute. And oh I was like, no way, not the year though. I had a baby that year, but <laughs> I thought, isn't that serendipitous? So. Yeah, you know, I love, that. I, I love that you share self-doubt, fear, but yep. you know what? You drew yep. the line in the sand and you yep. stepped over it and you did it anyways. That's it. That's exactly So it. where did you get that grit and that tenacity to say, it's okay, Ellen, don't doubt yourself, keep going. Great example of imperfection, but how did you keep going when you were looking at this monstrosity of oh my goodness, like I'm going to create a category at the Grammy Awards and other companies had tried to do it. And you were like, it's little old me. I'm not a company. I don't have a business degree. 
Where do you go in your mind, in your heart to keep, to mm -hmm. keep your eye on the prize of knowing that I was going to get that category. I'm going to do it. Where does that come from? That's a good, that's a good point. I think in, in recollecting, I just felt so strongly about it. And mm. I kept thinking to myself, well, what happens if you were not successful? And I felt that I would be devastated if I didn't, if I didn't make the effort. And I think that was part of it. And I, you know, yes, I was nervous, but I just was able to, to move through it. Um, and what I did too was uh, I gave a panel uh, talking about, I gave a big panel at a, at a big club um, along with the New York chapter of the Recording Academy uh, in the 90s. And um, they, I said, I want to do a panel to, uh, to talk and have other people on the panel who were, uh, I had uh, uh, Larry Flick, who was, was an incredible uh, columnist for dance music at, in, at Billboard at the time. I had top level music promoters. I had record label people, top artists who were all on this panel with me. So it looked really significant and good. And I had the whole, dance music community there they some people flew in from boston uh, i was in new york city at, at a club but they just kind of um uh were good with this with this panel so there were you know i don't know a couple of thousand people in it maybe it maybe less maybe a thousand dance music community people strictly and i said it, the, the essence was it uh, would you be supportive would you like to have a category at the grammys and uh, because if you don't have enough people entering their product uh, and submitting their product into a new category, the category goes away. So I had to be absolutely sure that I had the support of the dance music community. And in fact, there were a few, not many, a few people that really just wanted to stay underground. There were underground dance music labels and they did their own, mm -hmm. they had their own you know, fans and they had, um, they just wanted to stay not known. Which just, was, in, just in their status quo, and that's exactly, okay. Exactly, and that's okay. Now, let me take this one level deeper, because you, you have gained like national and international recognition within the music industry. And I know because of this accomplishment that both Madonna and Cher by the way, Cher's birthday is the same as mine, May 20th. Oh my God. That's so cool. I know because of you, they got their first Grammys in their singing career. So share this miraculous, beautiful story with us. Yeah, well, what happened was I when I finally created the categories, and I must say too that I formed in order to be to be to have my own support system, I had a a uh, wonderful committee that I that I formed, and we met to get this 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 thing done, and we met every week for really almost two years to strategize to figure out how to do this to market mm -hmm. it. And the key the key thing was really everything is voted on uh, at the Grammy organization by members, by trustees, by board of governor uh, members, and. Um, I had to find out, I knew I had to have a major proposal. So on my little, on my smaller committee, which turned out to be four people by the end of all these, all these many meetings, there were four that consistently every single week 
we would meet. Um, there were two young attorneys and a record label owner and myself. And we set out to kind of, how are we going to do this? One of the big things was I had, I knew a lot of people at the New York chapter of the Recording Academy, but I didn't know anybody at the national office. And this is the, uh, the awards and nominations um, area is where new categories can happen. You have to, so I really just, I don't know, I got, I wheeled my way into being able to talk to the head of the awards uh, committee and she, Diane, and she, I said, what do I need to have in the proposal to have this passed and voted on? And she was so extremely helpful. She told me what was needed. What was needed is, uh, it was a very long proposal. What was needed uh, was they needed to, to have direct, absolute information about why dance music was not pop music. How, mm. how in very detail, how it was not pop. It was always been put under pop and it's really, it's different. So um, I had to go even down to describing how many beats per minute dance music has in it generally. So, so many specifics. I had to show billboard uh, sales past and present of specifically dance music because I had a dance music uh, chart. So I had friends of mine at billboard uh, who I just asked them and they were so kind to give me all this mm. information. Jeez. I had somebody else do other research and make me uh, uh, CDs of all the, or and also cassette tapes of dance music, of how, of the history of it, of how we, of how it all came together from years ago to now, what does it sound like? So uh, people would understand it and how it's, how it sounds. So I had so much information in this proposal and we worked on it. And then I, I just, I had to, you know, and through the whole process, uh, I had to find out when the deadlines were of when it was voted on. So you present this proposal with, with information, with examples, with exhibits of the music and history and everything you could have in there. And um, it really did take that long to put it together, to, uh, to meet. I, ha I gave speeches uh, to even educate people who weren't in dance music but just generally music. I gave speeches at the, at the Winter Music Conference that happened, enormous conference that happens every year for the last, I don't know, I guess 30 years. And I gave a speech where 2,000 people, most of them were the dance music uh, representatives, but, um, and I gave speeches at other conventions in Chicago and in Miami to educate people, to let them understand the value of the Grammys, how it works, how to be a member, uh, who can submit their product, how, how all of those little things work. And uh, so it wasn't something that they were, it was important for the community to know that it wasn't something that was, that was not a, attainable by them. You know, it was mm -hmm. something that even though it's such a big organization and the, really the, the most respected award in the music industry, the Grammy. So um, a lot of them said, oh, that no one's going to, you know, bother with me. I'm too small. I'm too this. So I had to make them understand that they would be heard because you're always heard when you submit something to the Grammys. Mm -hmm. they, they accept everything and no matter what, even no matter what quality it is. And you, and you get on a list and uh, it's pretty cool to see your name 
on a list of submissions. Then it's pared down with voting, uh, voting processes. Um, so, uh, I mean, if you want to know more about how it all works, you can just go to Grammy. I just, I love the consistent renewal that you had, that there was no mountain too big. You were going to keep climbing. You weren't this big conglomerate music corporation. You were just yeah. a woman with a vision and you did it. And then you opened it up for amazing women in music like Madonna and Cher to to win at the Grammys in that category. So what a what a beautiful legacy for you to yeah. have created. And you know, you weren't this big company. You were just like I said, you were a woman with a vision. And I'm so happy that people are gonna hear this and if there's younger people thinking that things yeah. are too big every vision and every idea, every dream is, is worthy of, of effort, regardless of our imperfections. Absolutely. And, and I just think you're such a great example of that. And congratulations, no one can ever take that away. You are the creator of that category at the Grammys. And it's just, it's just so fun to interview you and get to know you. And I can say, I know somebody that did this, like, Wow, it's kind of um, cool. Yeah, I feel very satisfied and very happy about it. And, and even though it did happen, as you said, in the 90s, the late 90s, it, the category went through, there are people who I want them to let them know that when they see, uh, when they enter their product in the Grammy category, that when they see best dance recording, how it got there that I actually named it too, but not just me, but just the, the force of, of wanting to get something done. And then there is the best electronic album category, which I also named uh, so that, uh, you know, I always had the dance music. And then I found that after, after that was established and I did as when I got that category, the other thing that I wanted to do was to have everybody know that it's there. There, there have been categories that have been created and added to the Grammys through the years, but a lot of times people don't even know that they're there. So I somehow had this aptitude and, and I always felt the power of the media and had an aptitude. I knew how to, how to talk to them. I just, just made calls and just did cold calls from the New York Times uh, to every single music magazine Rolling Stone talked about it. Uh, you know, everybody, I got everyone to talk about it uh, because I wanted it to, to out there. And then I was interviewed ultimately by uh, hundreds of websites, high traffic websites about this effort. Like I found a writer at the New York Times who was interested mm. in this, in this particular thing. Every, every writer has a different uh, musical interest. And then I had MTV, uh, did a show around this. They had with this with along with this category edition. There was also one for DJ remixers or mm. the, the people that do the production. So mm -hmm. that went along with my category as a, a general dance music uh, 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 field. So um, MTV did a show and they interviewed the top level uh, two in particular two top level DJs. Uh, Dave Morales and Frankie Knuckles. Frankie Knuckles, dear Frankie, may you rest in peace. Um, they were the first two people to get to get Grammys in this category, 
and they were on television, but they were internationally known, you know, they were, mm -hmm. and I was on there and they talked to us about it. So I don't remember how, I guess MTV called me. I don't remember reaching out to them. And then also much music. Much music out of Toronto, Ontario. Yes, yeah. we talked about that. That's I, the Canadian I, version. Fabulous. So the Canadian version, yeah. and they were darling and they believe contacted me and they, they flew in with a little crew and they interviewed me. I had that interview somewhere too. It's been dig up. But um, they interviewed me and it was so delightful. And it was so much fun to see all of this in my interview and pieces of it on much music. I mean, it was just so thrilling. Oh, that's amazing. It's amazing. I know. I'm gonna, I'm gonna switch gears here. And we're going to end the podcast with what I call my fab four. Okay. And these are just four fun questions, whatever's, whatever's sitting on the top of your mind. Are you ready? Ready. Okay. My first question is, what makes Ellen happy? Um, I told you I was a singer. After, oh, I wanted to say too, that after, after, this is part of the whole story, after I created the category, I started a music PR company called Buzz Publicity because people were asking me, Ellen, you dealt with the media so well, and I did not know this was going to happen. <laughs> you dealt with the media so well, I saw all that coverage, my God. Could you do publicity for us, for our label, for our little label? It was a small label. And I said, and I was already by that time I knew I could sing but I there was a business mm -hmm. side of me that really wanted to I was really interested in, in working on that side of my brain and I said yeah I'll do you know musical publicity so I was given a client and I was given a, a, a list of, of publications they wanted to be in on an international level so I learned right away on the job really how to do publicity i also had i also you have to have a very good press release too so i had friends at sony music for instance that helped me with getting the best press release and what you should have up front to grab somebody's attention all these things but i read books so i really self-taught about publicity but i had a um i i just always admired the media and i just figured out how to do it so I started a successful publicity company called Buzz Publicity because I got the Grammy Award, uh, the Dance Music Grammy Award installed, and because I got so much uh, visibility for it in all the different media outlets. So that's how Buzz Publicity started. And I wouldn't, you know, who knew? Yeah. I didn't know that would happen. Um, so right now, I love to do that. Now it's more, uh, I've had that, business for uh, 20 years or something and did well with it and I still have it but it's more consulting now because which is a kind of a good time to do that because people still need to know how to strategize and how to and what do I do next or someone would say oh I just performed on a big television show I said oh great how did you make that work for you things like that so yeah. and all different kinds of people um, that just would even want to know about how the music business works um, I consult with so the other so what happens now is what your insides sort of you, you listen to your insides i've always i was always a singer i never stopped singing except when i had my company i really kind of stopped so i my heart is kind of going back to singing and uh i just sang before COVID. i had two uh it was a lovely club called the metropolitan room in manhattan 
and I had two sold out shows there mm. and some press with it. So I've gone back, I've allowed the singing, the love of singing come back into my life. And I've been working on that. And that gives right now, singing and writing and performing give me tremendous joy. Tremendous That's joy. wonderful. That's wonderful. What would be, you can't think about this. It has to be the first answer that comes to your mind. Okay. What is your favorite song of all time? Mm. But that, that's a tough one, of course, because there's so many, it's as you, as you change, your age changes and mm. what, what, the, what the songs mean to you uh, yeah. change. You, you, you correlate a, a situation or a feeling or, or a person with a song. So, but I'm trying to, the first thing that comes to mind though is growing up, Led Zeppelin, Stairway to Heaven. Heaven. <laughs> classic, classic. Right? Classic song that just, yeah. that among many, also some Jimmy Webb song. Nice. Touch My Heart, which is tall lineman by the time I get mm -hmm. to speak, he's mm -hmm. brilliant. So uh, that's what I think of first. Now, if I had you, if I came to you and said, I need you to name a song for the year 2020, mm. what do you think you would title it? <laughs> um, finding Your Way in Confusion. That's the too long of a title, but that's kind of the, the essence of it. Who are you? And what are you feeling in this time of either reflection mixed with uh, concern, fear, and in so much inconsistency? What kind of the, the feeling of the song would be kind of what, what anchors you? What makes you feel strong? Mm -hmm. That would be the idea. I like that. Yeah. And my last question that I want to ask you is, what do you want your legacy to be? Um, well, I do in terms of just career stuff, uh, I do feel very much proud of the fact that I created a category at the Grammys that people can finally, it's, it's, it's a validation of the genre of dance music. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's a real validation and it's a respect and it's, uh, something special. And so that's, that's certainly part of it. And I like when I affect people with my singing, I make them feel something. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. what it's, it's powerful. That's what it's all about. Um, and then in my publicity, in my, for my publicity company that I had some clients that I did some wonderful things for that they'll always remember. That's lovely. Well, I want to thank you for your time today and your expertise. It was so lovely to meet you and I know we're not done with you yet. I, I know there's more to come. I could just feel that. I don't know if it's the tenacity, the red, the gregariousness. I'm not sure, but it was just a pleasure to meet you. Uh, it was delightful to talk to you, Deb. I so appreciate you. And we'll definitely keep in touch. And I like, yeah. to, I like to end my podcast with five things that I believe help us lead a purposeful life. Follow your heart. Yes. Have passion, do your best, know your truth, and always be in love with the journey. This is uh, Deb Crow. Thank you for joining me on Imperfect, the heart-centered leadership podcast.